But hey, we have been walking through the book of Romans, and so we're going to get back to that this morning. If you have your Bibles, pop those open to Romans 9. As you're going there, again, I mentioned I'm not Jose. My name's Kenny. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and uh, I oversee some of our communities and some of our leadership and things like that. But it is a pleasure to be one of the pastors and elders here, and I am so thrilled about so many things that God is doing on um, our behalf. And it's just it's a thrill to even be here today with you and getting to share from Romans. Last week, uh, my friend Jim, another one of the elders here at the church, Uh, did an amazing job, a rad job, of pointing us to God and what he's like. And if you missed it, please, 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 please go to the podcast on our website under the Gather tab and check that out because you do not want to miss it. I left last week so encouraged, full of peace and full of hope, hearing more of what God's like and and his characters. And we want to walk through just a few of those, just remind you of those today. And so those were this right here. I'm going to give you the cliff notes, right? Jim reminded us that God is just. He is completely fair and he is completely impartial. God is good. He is the foundation of goodness and of everything good. He's also merciful. When we deserve punishment, he doesn't punish us. In fact, he blesses us instead. God is compassionate He knows our sorrows, our brokenness, our problems. He suffers with us. God is also sovereign. There's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. God is long-suffering. He has self-restraint when being stirred to righteous anger. God is patient. Each attribute of God mentioned last week, play into God's plan for salvation. Let's look at that in Romans 9, verse 22. It says this, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? Whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. In his grace and mercy, God has called people to himself from both the Jew and the Gentile. God made righteousness possible through his son, Jesus. And naturally, we all have to do something with this. Naturally, the Gentiles and the Jews in the, Romans, uh, in, in the context of Romans, they have to do something with this. So I think the question I want to answer this morning is, how will they respond? And what can you and I learn from their response? Let's jump into verse 30. Of Romans 9. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if it were by works. 
Here in this text, we see the theme of faith emphasized. In this text, there is a paradox. See, the Jews sought righteousness but did not find it, whereas the Gentiles, they were not searching for it, but they found it. Remember, God has called all of humanity to himself. The good news, as we've been learning, the good news of the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. And this has been made possible because of Jesus. Here in this text, we see the Gentiles obtain righteousness because of their faith in Jesus. The, their object of faith, God counted as right. See, Jesus alone saves. It is by grace through faith in Jesus that the Gentiles were saved. Many Jews, though, they didn't respond this way. They didn't respond the same way as the Gentiles. As God called them to himself, as God said, Jews, Israel, come to me. I've made a way. You would think that the Israel, the nation of Israel, would have been prepared to receive him. And for centuries, they had known the Old Testament prophecies and had practiced the law, which was the signpost leading them to Jesus. Instead of receiving God, instead of receiving Jesus, they stumbled. Look at verse 33. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. I think I've told you this before, but Kimberly and I, my wife Kimberly, we always will do like a morning run to start our weekend off. And so we load the kids up into this stroller that they call a bob. I don't know why they call it a bob, but they call it that. And so we load them up. And by the way, it's getting very heavy. I have a four-year-old and a 10-month-old. They're like growing like crazy. So it's getting heavy. So I'm pushing, right? And we always end at coffee and then we walk back. But for some reason, I think we were in a hurry, and so we just did it around our neighborhood. And so we're running, and of course, I want to finish strong. You know, I want to just, I'm, I'm in a stride. I'm like, this is great exercise. Let's finish well. Well, every time we go on a run, my son tends to bring cars with him. And he loves cars. He loves lightning, and he loves blackout. And these two cars from the movie Cars, um, fight each other. You know, they tend to butt heads and things like that. It's boy stuff, right? Well, all of a sudden, towards the end of our run, as I am just booking, I mean, I'm just, let's finish this thing. He decides to ditch blackout. He just kind of lays blackout off the left side of the stroller. I roll my ankle so badly on blackout. I do everything in my power to not drop the stroller, but I am in so much pain. Kimberly's like, are you okay? And I go, yeah, yeah, right? I stumbled. I didn't finish well. I didn't attain the goal of getting to the end of the street. And I think this analogy works for what we are discussing today because Israel was on the home stretch. They were doing fine spiritually. They saw themselves in a great stride. And ever since Israel returned from the land of Babylonian captivity, the nation had been cured of idolatry. 
They were worshiping the temple and the local synagogues, and they were worshiping the true and only God, and they were teaching the only true law. All of this was included on Israel's resume. But then, as Hosea prophesied, what we just read, Jesus arrives on the scene to fulfill the law, to be the culmination of the law, and they reject him. Jesus causes them to stumble and fall short of their goal. But why the rejection of Jesus? Why did they say no to Jesus? Look at 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Israel rejected Jesus because they did not feel a need for salvation. Israel would have been happy for political salvation from Rome, but when it came to spiritual salvation, they didn't need it. They didn't need to be saved from their sin. And we actually see this play out in a parable uh, that Jesus gives in the book of Luke. I've I've put it up on the screen for you. Starting in uh, Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus tells this parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Those who trust Jesus understand and admit that they don't measure up. They don't have what it takes in regards to all that God requires. It's a confession like the tax collector. God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm not like you. God, I'm a mess. I've dishonored you with my life because of my sin. And I am in need of a Savior. Have mercy on me. This was not the attitude of the Jews. But what can we learn from their response? Well, we can learn that we need Jesus. Is this your understanding? Is this your attitude towards God? I need you, God. I need your mercy that is offered through your son Jesus. This morning, I don't want to assume that everyone sitting in the gathering today sees their need for God. Maybe you're sitting here today for the first time. You're seeing your need for God. You're seeing your need for a Savior. If that's you, then please, please receive God's grace. Today, today, right now, you can be justified. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, you can be made right in front of a perfect, perfect God. 
Now, for those of you who are justified, you still have need. God saves, yes. God saves and his grace has saved you and you have been justified. You've been made right, but you still don't all completely look like Jesus. Who, who in here is perfect like Jesus? All right. So you need God. Upon salvation, you and I are genuinely new, but you won't be too, totally new until Jesus' return. So between the day Jesus saved you and the day that he returns, we need his grace. We need God to show up in life's moments, and we need him so badly. See, the churchy word for this is sanctification. We need him to make us look more like Jesus. There's spots in our hearts, there's spots in our lives that don't look like him. Here's an example of what I mean. Uh, I, I put the verse up on the uh, screen again, but Jesus tells his followers in Matthew to love your enemies. You have heard it said this way, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What Jesus commands here is countercultural. Culture says, hate those who hate you. Disregard them. Forget them. Whereas Jesus tells you to love your enemies. Love is an active word. But not only does it say love your enemies, it says pray for those who persecute you. To follow Jesus is to love your enemy. This type of living is going to take trust. Trust that Jesus' way is better. That Jesus' way is the best. To live like like this, we need God. I mean, is this natural? I don't think this is natural. I, I had a guy stop by my office just here last week, and he was sharing about a relationship at work with one of his colleagues. It's just tough, it's just hard. But as we talked and talked and talked, I heard this guy loving his colleague. Despite how difficult it was, he loved his colleague. This is what God's calling us to. And it's not a neutral love. Some of us, I think, with our enemies, we just go, yeah, I'll just ignore them. I don't think that's what this says. To be this sort of person, we need God. We need his strength. We need his power. And we need the Spirit's help. This need for God was non-existent in many Jews. Again, they saw no problem that needed fixed. There was nothing they needed to be saved from. Nothing was broke, so why fix it? The second reason for Israel to reject Jesus was because of their zeal. Look at verse 2 of, of chapter 10. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. 
They were so excited and enthusiastic about the law that Israel decided they thought it would be a good idea to even add to the law. You know, improve it because God didn't have it all figured out. So let's add to the law. So they added their own traditions and made them equal to God's law. They had great zeal. When I was in high school, I had this part, is like a, I don't know, 20-hour-a-week job. I worked for this lady, and she had a bunch of work at her house that needed to be done. And uh, one of my jobs that she gave me was, hey, I, there's a rock in the back of back kind of left corner of my house. I need you to dig that up and move it. So I went back there to the corner of the house, and I didn't see a rock. I didn't see anything. And so I got on the phone with her, and I was talking with her. I was like, hey, I don't see this, you know. But I, I had a ton of zeal to do this job well, right. I wanted her to be happy with all of the work that I had done as a high schooler. Like, I was like, I, I, I'm going after this. So finally, I'm on the phone. She's like, it's just right there. And I'm going, okay. So I literally grab the shovel and her lawn right on the corner. I just start going after it. I mean, I am digging. I get three feet, still no rock. I mean, I'm just going, 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 going. I'm getting after it, right? Eventually, she shows up and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, this is where the rock is. <laughs> and then... So graciously, she pointed about five to eight feet that way and said, no, that's the rock I was talking about. Oh, right? Zeal isn't very helpful if it's not in the right direction. Warren Wiersbe says that, sad to say, many religious people today are making the mistake, the same mistake. They think that their good works and religious deeds will save them, when actually these practices are keeping them from being saved. Certainly many of them are sincere and devout, but sincerity and devotion will never save the soul. Zeal doesn't save. Sincerity and devotion in the wrong direction doesn't save. There won't be grace for those who are sincere and devoted to the wrong thing. I mean, this was Paul before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Let's look at Acts 26. I think we have time. You can turn there. We're, you can just go back a little ways to Acts 26. At this spot in Acts, Paul is on trial. This is one of the three that he's on trial. And he's been arrested, and the Jews are hoping to either imprison him or kill him. Paul is his own defense, and sees this as an opportunity to share the gospel with Israel and some of the Roman leaders. We'll pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 26. Paul, describing himself, says this, I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I've put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blasphemy. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. One of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. 
with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, this is who he's on trial in front of, was King Agrippa. He says, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? Let's pause there. I don't know what, I didn't know what goads were until I did the study. Basically, simplest form is they would prod cattle with a goad. It's like a stick, okay? It's sharp, has a sharp end. And any time that the animal or the cattle would kick back on the goad, it'd, it'd like fire them up more, get them more excited, and it'd just get worse for the animal. And so he's saying here, he's like, why are you kicking back? You know, Jesus is saying, why are you kicking back? Why are you not accepting me as Savior and Lord, Saul? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue, rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them, this is key right here, turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I got to read the end of this story because it's too cool. If you go down to uh, verse 24, he says all this, and Festus, one of the religious leaders, says this to Paul. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. At this point, uh, at this point, uh, Paul says to Festus, what I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time, Paul, you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening, listening to me today may become what I am. Except for these chains. <laughs> I love that last part. I, I just don't let them wear the chains. That's, that's way better. No, but what Paul is saying is here, I have transferred, okay, I have been transferred from darkness to light. I, Paul, have been transferred from Satan to God. And he's saying, I want everybody in this room to meet Jesus so the same can happen for them. I was zealous, I was full of zeal, and I would, all that zeal was headed in the wrong direction. And now I have found faith in Jesus to bring me to a place of righteousness before God. By grace, through faith, Paul has been saved. Next, we see that the Jews rejected Jesus because of their pride and self-righteousness. Romans 10, verses 3 through 4 says this. 
Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. See, Israel was ignorant of God's righteousness, not because they had never been told, but because they didn't want to learn. We actually saw that from Festus in, while he's in trial. He's saying, hey, you're insane, Paul. I'm, I'm not listening to you. Forget you, Paul. You're, all your great learning is causing you to be insane. There is an ignorance, though, that comes from the lack of opportunity. But Israel had many opportunities to be saved. And unfortunately, they would not submit to God's righteousness. Instead of relying on Jesus, the Jews placed their hope in their work rather than Jesus' work. They rejected grace righteousness and tried to please God with law righteousness. And in return, they fell short of their goal. Israel was caught up in religion rather than the gospel. Tim Keller a while back put out this really uh, helpful chart that showed some comparisons between religion and the gospel. And I wanted to take a look at number nine since it was in line with much of what we were talking about today. Tim Keller says that religion says, you can see it on the chart behind me, religion says my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. I disdain and feel superior to the other. Whereas the gospel says... My identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for his enemies. Who is excluded from the city for me. I am saved by sheer grace. So I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different from me. Only by grace I am what I am. I have no inner need to win arguments. What a vast difference between the gospel and religion. Paul in today's text is speaking to Jews who were caught up in religion. They based their righteousness on morality rather than the gospel. How they would live was so important or how the, they could keep the law was so important. See, this way of thinking I think is helpful for us to see because law righteousness is crushing. Friends, if you think that you can get yourself right with God, that is going to crush you. Because none of us are good enough. None of us can get right with a perfect God. None of us have the greatest accolades or resume needed to accomplish that. And that's why God in his great mercy and his great love sent his son on our behalf. Christ is the culmination of the law. Righteousness is now available for everyone, everyone who believes. Christ opens a new phase in salvation history in which God extends his offer to all people, Jews, Gentile, all of humanity, 
Faith apart from ethnic origin or works is the sole basis for experiencing the gift Jesus offers to the world. So what might be our takeaway here? Well, I think it's just wise to ask each and every one of us, ask, what is my source of righteousness? Like, really? Do you come in today just with this burden of weight of like, I've got to be all these things so that I measure up to God so that I can even be in his presence? Because if that is, if that's the way you think, you're wrong. It's going to crush you. And that's why God says, hey, no, I loved you so much that I sent my son Jesus to die for you so that we can be in relationship. All that you have to do or all that you needed to do is no longer needed. It was absorbed by Jesus. That is good, good news. So now you and I can live in peace. We can live with hope. Rather than, oh, what's God going to get me for next? Because I can't live up to what he's expecting. We don't have what it takes. Because we don't have what it takes, Jesus is the answer. He's the only answer, and it's because of God's grace. Through Jesus, we can be saved. Not through our resumes or those accolades. So let's conclude by just running over real quickly what we just talked about. The Jews' high view of themselves caused them to miss Jesus and reject him. Whereas the Gentiles received him. If you haven't received Jesus, then why not today? Why not this morning? Memorial Day weekend. Never forget the day that you trusted in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Don't be like those who rejected the Messiah. Don't be like those who have rejected Jesus, the Savior of the world. Instead, see your need for the Savior. Man, if you've been justified today, see your need for the Savior. Jesus saves, he is saving, and one day we will be saved forever. Right now, we're in that saving time. We're in that saving time as Christians. What's God need to save you from today? Maybe it's as simple as like loving your enemies. God doesn't want you to be bitter. God doesn't want you to sit there in a way that's not helpful to the soul. His way is better. Will you trust him? Will you see your need for him? Direct your zeal towards Jesus instead of something less. And lastly, find salvation in Jesus' work, not yours. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for all that you've done on our behalf. Thank you that you rose from the grave. Thank you that you paid the price for us. Thank you that we don't have to be crushed by our sin, but instead you absorbed it for us so that we can be in relationship with our Father. We just so love you and we so want to 
live for you, God. And so I just ask that you'd help us to see that need today. Help us to see that need for you as we walk out of this building and even have maybe barbecues with our neighbors or whatever, that we would see a need for you to change us and work through us. Um, so oftentimes, God, I think we're, we're wanting to do something for you, like you need us. But instead, God, I, I ask that we would do something with you. God, thanks again for being our Savior. Thank you when we didn't measure up. You did. We love you. In your name.